From beach towels to tea towels, and from mugs to water bottles, the TNT Shop has it all. Browse our shop now at tntradio.live. You're listening to Joe Hoft on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Hi, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Uh, glad you're here. This is the Joe Hoff Show. And, and as always, we've got a great uh, show lined up for you today. Lots going on, as I say every day, lots going on. That should be the name of the show, Lots Going On. You know, um, too much, too much to even keep up with. I was talking to uh, some friends here just a, really just moments ago about uh, something that I'd written about maybe a year, maybe two years ago, maybe maybe not two years, maybe a year ago. And it's this entity called the EIP, the Election Integrity, Integrity Project. And I think we've talked about it here on the show before. What it is was this entity that was created by the U.S. government. This is uh, this uh, this CISA, C-I-S-A, an entity underneath Homeland Security. Their purpose is to protect America, uh, just like Homeland Security's purpose is supposed to be to, to protect America. But they're not doing it. They're doing the opposite. As a matter of fact, they are destroying America and they are targeting American citizens. And nothing could be more clear than this uh, efforts under the CISA. CISA was also where this uh, lunatic uh, woman uh, who was actually in the Ukraine came back to the U.S., young girl who was singing uh, supercalifragilistic expialidocious, uh, twisting the words about Trump. Uh, crazy girl, in my mind, just crazy. Who does that? Um she was over in Ukraine during the uh, Obama's takeover uh, in the uh, around 2014. It's amazing that when we look back at some of the people that were there, certainly uh, Newland, uh, who's under the uh, State Department, is still there, and uh, now we're at war. Uh, the, this is the kind of people that have been uh, working for the United States in Ukraine. Monsters, in my in my. Uh, belief just monsters what they've been doing to the people there and and the money that they're managed look at hunter biden going over working for this company called barisma an oil gas giant making tons of money for the biden family all a scam when president trump asks about it on a phone call with Zelensky, they actually uh impeach president trump asking about it and now we look back it's like oh, okay this is why because he was right over the target and that's what's uh, happened with this entity, the EIP. If you're over target, they're going to target you. And I feel like perhaps I'm I'm the one that's been targeted the most. Uh, you know, me and and my work at the Gateway Pundit. And I'll, I'll explain why this entity, Election Integrity Project, was created right before the 2020 election and ended right after the election. And what they did, their purpose was, they say, is to manage. Uh, misinformation disinformation because they are the purveyors of the truth you know anybody that ever tells you that be leery unless of course it's me but um no nah, it's a joke but be, you know I, I i oftentimes say you know hey we're going to share the truth here and i and i believe it um and maybe everybody does but these guys what they say they own the truth if we say something they are going to target us they are going to censor us, and eventually they might sue us, and maybe hopefully they'll throw us in jail. And that's, I think that's the the progression for fascist communists and now the U.S. government. What we found out about this uh, 
this EIP was that they began targeting stories against Hunter Biden. I had five stories against Hunter. Twitter took me down after maybe the first or the second one. And um, and my account grew faster than it ever had while I was being suspended, which made me think that there must have been some sort of lever that was released when they when they took me down that allowed people to follow me that couldn't before because I was so badly shadow banned. And uh, anyways, I had, I don't know, 20,000 followers. And then I started writing about the election and I was dropping bomb after bomb after bomb. And then what we found was I got censored. And again, uh, for a period of time, I think the first time, because I identified that there was a data set that we could look at that showed that ballots had flipped from Trump to Biden and that other ballots just showed up out of nowhere for Biden, millions of ballots. And uh, so, of course, they had to take that down, uh, claiming it was whatever, whatever they said. Then uh, eventually they just took me down about three, four days before January 6th. I guess they didn't want me to be able to speak freely on January 6th, which by by midday I could tell something's going on because we had uh, – all these rallies for President Trump, 1.1 million people, and there was uh, no violence whatsoever. What's going on on January 6th causing this? Of course, Pence announced during Trump's speech that he was going to certify the non-certifiable election, which certainly, you know, pissed some people off. But was that enough to cause the violence or was the violence instigated? Now, now the something like 65%. So two thirds of Americans believe that January 6th was instigated by uh, the deep state, by the FBI, DOJ, that there were feds there that were instigating that crowd. And I believe it wholeheartedly, as a matter of fact, then they throw these good men and women, good Americans in prison for doing nothing wrong that day. Many of them very peaceful. They walk in the Capitol, they walk out, they're going to prison. And many of them, many of them, Owen Schroyer from InfoWars didn't even go in the Capitol that day. He's outside screaming at people through a blowhard, don't go in, it's a setup. And he's sitting in prison today uh, for and, and in solitaire. Last I heard, he's in solitaire and he's not out. They're going to torture this guy. This is solitaire's torture. Can you imagine being locked in a room, a small closet for, for a period of time, not getting out, barely getting food? Might not even have a uh, bathroom. There was this one guy we saw where he was locked, some January 6er. He he had a bucket. That's what they said. It was his bathroom. It's like, what's going on with our with this country? I, I spoke with General Flynn about that, who was on our show yesterday, but I spoke with him previously when that came out. He said, We don't we didn't do that to the terrorists in in, in the war on terror. We didn't, and he, he says, I was in charge of it. We never did that to anybody. The stuff that they're doing to the American people is unbelievable, unconscionable. It's Barack Obama's hate for America. And that's what happens when you have haters running your country. You see it get destroyed. And that's what's been going on. And we started reporting on that. And then we get targeted by the EIP. EIP comes out then with a report. Criminals can't help but brag about their crimes. It always happens. They come out and say, we did this. We targeted all these conservative media. Uh, the number one culprit was the Gateway Pundit, 46. Number two was Breitbart at 25. We, I knew at the time Breitbart wasn't talking about the stolen election. They made a decision. Somebody who was pulling the strings there said, no, you cannot talk about the election <laughs> and, and, and all the evidence that it was stolen. And so I don't know how many readers would come to the Gateway Pundit and put in the comment section, I'm done with Breitbart. 
And I say it blew up out this. I'm done with them. But they still were number two uh, with like 26. I think we we had 46 uh, incidents, they call them, or reports that they had to shut down. They don't mention my name specifically in the report, but I believe a good handful, maybe 20, I believe more than 26 of those were, were articles that I put up uh, just because I know we were getting millions of hits on some of these articles. And they, they could not let them share it on. Uh, they would censor them on Twitter. They'd censor them on Facebook. But we were getting the word out. This thing did not add up. We were the first. I was the first. I should say we. Uh, my reporting was the first to come out with uh, the fact that we have patterns in the data. My report was the first to come out to show a pattern in Michigan and in, in uh, Pennsylvania that has never been refuted. And I'm telling you, I worked with a senior senior actuary at a major U.S. corporation who helped me with that. Saw a pattern. Hey, all these absentee ballots—they got a pattern to them. Compare them to the election day where Trump was up two to one, and you'll see this pattern. There's something going on there. They pushed these things through and assigned them to all these various counties just to steal this election in Pennsylvania for Joe Biden. It was a scam. It was a it was a mathematical scam. This is how they shoved ballots. Okay, we need 50 here. Okay, let's get 50 names from this county of people that didn't vote. And they started associating these votes with vote with people in this county. Total sham Pennsylvania election. Nobody's ever refuted that. Nobody's ever refuted, other than probably the CIP that said, oh, this isn't true based on non-facts and lies. And that was a win for them because they could shut it down. But uh, that was just one example where the, I was also the first to come out with seeing patterns in the data. We list, we finally got a hold of this data where, where we mentioned there's millions of ballots here floating around. Censored for that. I got off Twitter. Twitter because President Trump retweeted that twice because we knew we were over target. And then we started looking at the data further and we could see in the states like uh, Georgia, like Michigan, like Wisconsin, that once 90 percent of the votes were in, right at about 89 percent, they steal the election. All of a sudden, there's a big major drop, huge drop for Joe Biden only. He takes the lead from that point on from 90 percent to 100 percent of the remaining votes. They all were in the same proportion, Biden to Trump. So Biden would win 54 to Trump's 46, or in another state, 51 to Trump's 49. All of the ballots reported after that 90% count. How does that happen? How does that happen? That was that was that was me and one other guy that were that were dropping those bombs, and we were getting huge traffic on it. And the EIP didn't dare mention my name because they didn't want people to go back and look at these numbers because it's all in the numbers. And that's why I've been so effective in my reporting as well. And um so there you have it. And, and now they're bragging about it. And, and there's a, for some reason, I wrote about it a year ago, put it in my books, by the way, I've got three books on the election steal. One of them, I talk about this industry that's now being funded by the U.S. government. We've got the FBI paying Twitter. We have evidence of that. We've got Department of Defense paying these fake fact checkers. We have evidence of that. And we've got uh, the Department of State Paying these entities overseas, even and one in the UK that's targeting conservative advertisers. This is how they're attacking the American free speech in America. See, the Americans are now the enemy, and that's who CISA was going after. That's this funded entity, funded by the U.S. government, targeted uh, me and the Gateway Pundit more than anybody. And it's coming out again. People are finally starting to see this stuff. It's so outrageous that our taxpayer dollars are going to us. What's really outrageous is then the House just this, you know, just yesterday, was it? 
They passed a bill to just keep funding everything the Democrats want. They're going to continue to allow these people to fund censoring us, the American people. It's just unbelievable. It's it's just unbelievable. And here we are. Then we fight off court cases. We uh, the advertising dollars have been cut uh, in magnitudes, huge percentages. And this is the America we live in, folks. This is this is, and I don't say folks very often. I, this is what we're living in. This is reality. This is not right. This is not justice. This is not the American way. This is Barack Obama and the Biden crime family. This is what they want. They hate America. This is why Biden is trying to give another ten million to Iran. Or not million. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Ten billion to Iran after they've given them something like sixty billion since Biden stepped in office. Given Iran, they've lifted that terrorist regime out of uh, out of financial duress. The Biden the Biden gang alone. What's what sort of money you think Biden's got for doing that? There's a question. Anyways, it's a mad, mad, crazy world, and we've got um, a lot uh, to talk about today. We've got a great guest. He's from overseas, and he has quite an, a quite a uh, record and quite uh, the experience in in markets and 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 from has an overseas perspective on things that maybe only somebody overseas, uh, you know, can see. And his name's Alex Craner. He's been on a TNT radio before, and we're lucky enough to get him today to join the Joe Hoff show. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with Mr. Craner, and let's see uh, what he has to say from an international perspective and see if he can help us un- unwind the madness that's going on in the world today. We'll be right back. TNT Radio's Steve Hook. Adam is driving what they call the doxing truck uh, all around Harvard, and he's been doing this for a couple of weeks, and it's basically a truck, uh, LED lighting all the way around it. It's like a big box truck, and he flashes the names of students who have signed a letter that is, uh, well, if you read the letter, it's it's obviously pro-Hamas, and um, obviously Adam has taken issue with that, and he's saying, you know what, if you want to put your name on a letter, don't think you're going to be doing it, um, you know, behind the scenes. We're going to let everybody know who you are and you should you proudly sign that letter you shouldn't mind this at all well as you can imagine a lot of people have minded it um and even a few of those people that signed the letter originally have now rescinded their signature and said i don't want any part of this and part of that is because fortune 500 companies and other big tech companies uh taking notes on all of these names and they're just not going to hire them and a couple of them have come out and said um good luck you're not working for us steve hook on today's news talk tnt radio God's truth is enduringly true throughout all the generations. It transcends culture. The church is always going to be an embattled people. If it's swimming with the tide, it's not being the church of Jesus Christ. Look to the past, learn from the past, because the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. China has more than 200 confirmed cases of coronavirus, it's called. The entire state of California ordered to stay at home. That's 40. California has some of the strictest policies leveled against churches. Gavin Newsom's executive order threatens jail time and a $1,000 a day fine. Government stopping people from going to church, Dr. Fauci. 
when I went into the White House, when I sat in on the task force meetings, was a shocking level of gross incompetence. The mortality rate from the virus was 0.2%, you know, 99.8% survival, rather than the 3 or 4% mortality that the, the people were saying at the time. The culture and the understanding of the people of Grace Church has always been, not only do you obey government, but you honor government. Thousands of people in the streets, but you can't have church. The hypocrisy of letting people riot it helped us all understand one thing. This is not what they say it is. By meeting, we're testifying the government has no jurisdiction here. I was arrested and driven to a maximum security prison. The government has obviously uh, turned up the heat on churches. My daddy. <laughs> when the churches fall silent, the only religion left is the state. We needed to make a biblical statement because we always put ourselves under the authority of the Word of God. LA County threatened Pastor John MacArthur with jail time and arrest. We were going to be sued. They wanted Grace Church shut down. We wanted to go on the offensive and attack the health order as unconstitutional. This wasn't about health and safety. This was all about control and opposition to religious freedom. As the government gets more corrupt and more corrupt, snitches get rewards. Its totalitarian control has to increase. You have to have a mask on. And as they shut down any attacks against them, this is not about freedom or personal choice. The last thing standing is going to be the church. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And we are back. This is Joe Hoft on the Joe Hoft Show here on TNT Radio.live. Appreciate you listening in. We've got uh, a guest, first time on the Joe Hoft Show. I believe he's been on TNT before a number of times. Uh, but it's my my pleasure and, and uh, the first time I've had him here and get to know Mr. Alex Craner. Alex, welcome to the Joe Hoff Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, Joe. <clears throat> And uh, warm greetings to your listeners and, and viewers, maybe. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for thanks for joining us. So, where are you at today, physically located? I'm in uh, I'm in Monaco. Oh, okay. Monaco, uh, the Principality, Monte Carlo. Oh, nice, nice. And it's evening there, I guess, or afternoon. Uh, it's late afternoon. Yes, it's getting to be yeah. the evening. Yeah, so I'm in uh, I'm in Florida. It's uh, morning. We kind of got a cloudy day today, but it's 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 a gorgeous place down here where I'm at too. So, uh, a pleasure to where whereabouts Florida? Uh, I'm a I'm on the Atlantic side, uh, just about an hour okay. north of Mar hour north of Mar-a-Lago, if you know where that is. So west, okay, north of west that's Florida. a famous place. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, uh, yeah, it's it's nice here. It's beautiful and uh, grateful to be here. Really. Some days, you know, see the Atlantic and it's, it's nice. Got, you know, it's great. So anyways, uh, yeah. So tell us about yourself, Alex, you were, uh, uh, tell us, uh, you've got a kind of a storied history there. So I'm really anxious to hear that. And then we can kind of get into some of these, uh, topics of the day, if, if you don't mind. Well, so I'm, um, I'm a Croatian national, um, 
I've lived uh, quite a few places around the world, including the United States and Switzerland and uh, Spain and Venezuela and the UK and the uh, last 27 years in the Principality of Monaco. Uh, I am a former oil trader and hedge fund manager. Uh, I'm also a you know, geopolitical analyst and I published three books, two of them on uh, trading, uh, commodities trading and risk management. And one of them is a geopolitical treatise about uh, you know, the historical context of the relationships between Russia and uh, the West. Uh, that book got banned about five weeks after after it was first published, and it was republished about nine months later uh, by, a, by a publishing company called Red Pill Press. And uh, then they published it with a changed title, and then it got banned in other ones six weeks after after it got published and uh, i write i'm on active on twitter uh, or x now um, and i also write a Substack, and periodically i contribute to zero hedge so oh, that's fantastic. me in a nutshell so are you are you what's his name tyler dresden or whatever his name is is zero hedge famous yeah, Ty, no not tyler durden no 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 i'm not tyler durden i i write my under my own name yeah yeah because there's this question mark, who is this guy named Tyler? I think he's a group of men, by the way, men and women, probably. Does great work. with loves zero it could be. He, he, Whoever it is, uh, they write a lot and they write well. And so, yeah, maybe it's more than one person. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. It's a great site I like going to. And I actually will grab some of their stuff. And I've written it at Gateway Pundit here in the U.S., which is a pretty big publication now. Uh, after yes. the election, yeah, we're getting about yeah, we're getting about 5 million hits a day after the election of 2020 as oh, we were wow. crushing it. Uh, my background is in, I lived in Hong Kong for a decade uh, before coming back here in 2020. I was targeted by Media Matters, and that kind of ended my 20-year career at a major corporation and uh, came back here. I was targeted because I started writing for my brother at Gateway Pundit, and I wrote a piece on COVID that Media Matters didn't like. The, the piece was that it's not going to be 3.4% mortality. It's going to be closer to the flu. And they targeted me, ended up uh, ending my career. And it was a blessing in disguise because a week after I came back to the States, China changed the law in Hong Kong to say, if you write anything bad about China, we're taking you to China. <laughs> and so, and some of, I guess one American at least has, has been, uh, they applied that law too. So I was I was blessed to get out of there. Came back here, started writing for my brother Jim at the Gateway Pundit at that time, and then got into radio a year or two later, and have been here at TNT Radio now for a year. It's been great, and I still do a lot of writing. I've written some books. I've written three books on the steel myself, uh, and uh, they've done well. But you know, I had General Flynn on here yesterday, Alex, on this uh, very show, and we were talking about Russia. And, and the piece is, the thought is that, and, and I wrote about this, I think, in 2017, as we started seeing the Mueller gang uh, just crushing uh, Trump and anybody near him, especially General Flynn, maybe 2018, 17, we could see that, hey, it doesn't look like Russia is the culprit here. We don't have any Russians really involved. It looked like Mueller the whole time was trying to find some linkage to Russia. He never could really. 
What we did see, though, was that Britons were all over this effort. We had Steele, who did the Steele dossier and all this. And General Flynn recognized that as well. I mean, he got set up over in the U.K. It was Halper over there and others that targeted him. Ironically, the day before that, we had George Papadopoulos on. And he's really saying about the same thing, how we need to get our ultimately we need to get our judicial system and, and our Department of Justice back to being a Department of Justice, because it's been a nightmare since they went after Trump in this anti-Russia collusion lie that we all know is a lie now. So that doesn't surprise you, I bet. Oh, no, no, it doesn't surprise me at all. And in fact, my banned book is is kind of exactly about that. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm pointing out that the, you know, the head of the snake is probably uh, in the city of London. And that the whole network that is pushing us into one war after another is 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 basically it's it's uh, let's call it ideo- ideological and philosophical headquarters is still the city of London, and yeah, I'm very glad that you pointed out how uh, basically all the foreign names uh, involved uh, with RussiaGate were were all Brits. So you mentioned yeah. Stefan Halper and uh, uh, Christopher Steele. There's also Sir Richard. D- there's a uh, Alexander, well, you know the Australian guy, but basically it's all, it's yeah. all basically Brits or uh, you know uh, the 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 Five Eyes uh, intelligence agencies, right. uh, but mostly mostly it's all British agents. And the the thing that I found even more interesting is that this fact has been very very scrupulously kept from the media, from anybody understanding. And maybe the only network and the only um, anchor who did a fairly good job covering Russiagate was uh, uh, Sean Hannity on over, over on Fox. And yeah. Sean Hannity covered it from a pro-Trump point of view, but nevertheless, he scrupulously protected the, the British agents involved in this. And so he would always, in his rant, he would say Russian lies, Russian propaganda, and then when he referred to the Brits, he would say foreign nationals. He would always, huh. he would never say British. He uh. would always say foreign nationals. And so yeah. that's, that's how you know that there must be some kind of a fatwa in the, in the, in the, in the media in the United States that you shall never mention the British hand in, in, uh, right. in the operations of the, of the deep state. Yeah. We had uh Tony Schaefer on the show here a few times, a number of times. He's a, I consider him a friend of mine. He came out on Fox early in 2017, I guess right after Trump's inauguration. There was news that Trump was being spied on at Trump Tower. And Tony got on Fox and said, yes, it's very plausible. And it's the Brits that are doing it because they can they can spy on him here. And then they share that information, like with you said, with the five eyes, which then makes its way back to the CIA, uh, to the FBI, and to all these, uh, to the deep state, as we began to refer to this group. The next day, Tony was taken off Fox. (laughs) No longer was was a contributor at Fox. And so, but but that's when we started. He was, he was spot, he was spot on. And uh, as, as, as you're saying, so. I, I, I really liked Hannity at that time, too. I'm in Hong Kong for every morning getting up to watch Hannity. I really because he was covering uh, this Mueller sham that we were unwinding as too. I had some guys reach out to me that were really sharp. And the three of us were just doing day after day. I'd write an article for the Gateway Pundit 
outlining that this is a sham, this conflicts of interest, these people. Ultimately, we started calling them criminals. And we called, uh, we were probably the first to say Mueller was a dirty cop, which was unheard of. You know, we had such reverence for our FBI up to that point in time. Now it's just dirt after that. And I have no confidence, really very little in our Department of Justice. It's been, and and but you're right, there was this effort to cover up the Brits and their activities. Yes, and then uh, Mueller Mueller is a basically he's a he's a lawfare assassin with a very long track record. Uh, he was he was the man who practically destroyed uh, Lyndon LaRouche. And back at back at that time, you know, I bought the whole uh, media narrative that Lyndon LaRouche was this uh, extreme right wing pro-Nazi, fascist, uh, you know, extremist thug, basically. And then it took me a long, long time to work out that, oh, just another issue that we were completely lied about. And uh, yeah, even back then, um, Mueller was was in the service of the deep state as a, as a lawfare assassin. That's what he does, That's basically. Yeah, yeah. Well, and we saw that he was up in Boston uh, when they when Whitey Bulger was there, and uh, he uh, he helps Whitey Bulger take down the other crime family, and then lets him go. About five, ten years later, he's found in San Diego and arrested. And then, and then when the Mueller exam's going on, Whitey Bulger gets moved from one prison to another, and within a day, he's dead. And it, people were saying because people started to question, what does Whitey Bulger know about Mueller? And all of a sudden he's dead. And uh, so stuff like that was happening. We'd report on it. And, uh, and quite frankly, that's why people started following the Gateway Pundit was because we were trying to share the truth, you know, no matter where that led us. Um, what what What's the most astonishing piece of either the, well, let's start with the Mueller exam. What did, what shocked you? What shocked you that the American people didn't know or understand at the time? Uh, well, what shocked me the most uh, which is which is actually not related to Mueller, but but what shocked me the most was uh, uh, what I learned about uh, the U.S. Civil War and the uh, Russian role in it. Because I, you see, I studied in the U.S. system, both university and my senior year in high school, and I studied U.S. history, and I sat through that whole very long saga, North and South, that they showed to all the kids who go to school. And I never, ever heard that Russia played any role in the U.S. Civil War. And, uh, you know, since I have a lot of American friends, I kind of conducted a, an informal poll. And I would ask them, so what do you think uh, the U.S. Civil War was all about? And to a person, to a person, everybody said, oh, the uh, abolition of slavery, the emancipation of slaves. And then if I would ask them, so what role did Russia play in the U.S. Civil War? They would just give me a blank look like, huh? Yeah. What? Well, basically, as it turns out, and I don't, I mean, I actually in my book, I, I traced how this was scrubbed out of the cu curriculum and by whom. But basically, um, the United States Civil War was, was, was a major geopolitical event. And what it was, was that uh, since the British Empire was unable to uh, subjugate the United States, their plan B was to break the United States into two smaller, weaker, weaker client states. 
that would then be dependent on the UK for you know armaments and finance and 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 for export market, and so that the United States wouldn't be wouldn't be able to challenge Great Britain as a as a global power, and that they couldn't uh, challenge their dominance over all the trade routes around the world. So, pitting the South against the North was a British uh, agenda, and. When Lincoln went to war, uh, trying to preserve the Union, they were on the verge of defeat because the Britain, uh, the, the the Brits, the French, and the Vatican were actually actively helping the South. It was the Russian Tsar Alexander II who sent his Baltic fleet to New York and his Pacific fleet to San Francisco, where they anchored for six months and completely disabled the British plans to uh, to attack uh, the North, to attack Lincoln's, Lincoln's side. And so that's a very, very, very major part of the British, of the American history. And everybody in the United States studies US history in school and in, in university, but nobody knows this. That's amazing yeah. to me. That's, that's, mm. Yeah, stunning. I've never heard that before. So what happened in in so the Brits you say were were allegedly wanting to, I guess, attack the northern states. Is that what you're saying? And well, basically, you know, uh, basically the Brits were using the South as they were using all of their colonies as a source of cheap commodities and cheap labor, principally cotton, and then. That, that cotton was the raw material for British industry back home. And so what was happening in the United States is that the North was beginning to industrialize. In fact, the first half of the 19th century, uh, the development and rise of the United States was, I think, pretty much the fastest and most, most robust case of economic growth and development of any nation ever. So all of a sudden, the United States went from these this you know these this patchwork of colonies into a major power on the on the Atlantic Ocean. And so the British Empire was panicked that they were going to get unseated by the United States and they didn't want the United States to develop its industries. So they wanted the the um, the flow of commodities from the south produced by the slaves to continue flowing to Britain. And uh, so they wanted to destroy uh, the North and its industries. And so they wanted to um, have monopoly over, over the cotton that was coming from, or at least they had wanted to have a preferential treatment and deny the preferential treatment to, uh, to the Union. And so that's how the war was uh, eventually escalated, but with a lot of uh, secret diplomacy from the British side, which also um, was arming the South. They were building, they were building modern new uh, warships for the South, with which they would uh, then be able to um, break the uh, the naval blockade by by the North. Mm -hmm. And then uh, they were also trying to play these diplomatic games of uh, of calling for a, 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 a calling for a ceasefire and then negotiations and in these ne negotiations they were going to impose a new arrangement on on the united states and then if lincoln refused it then they would grant um they would grant uh, 
rec diplomatic recognition of the South as an independent nation. And so uh, uh, as this was ramping up, it was the Russians who actually came to Lincoln's aid and helped him preserve the Union. And, uh, you know, in the beginning of the so basically the the whole throughout the whole uh, 19th century, there used to be a very tight, very close alliance between the United States and Russia because their chief rival and the most dangerous uh, power in the world to them was the British Empire. And then when uh, in the when the the, United, the the British Empire finally started to collapse at the turn of the 20th century, uh, then the you know the imperial cabal uh, you know to to salvage their uh, privilege and their position, they decided that they needed to uh, transfer the seat of power to the United States, and they began creating these these pilgrim groups that came to the United States and uh, started to spread money through uh, these um, influential clubs uh, and, and and these networks of, uh, of wealthy and powerful people. And uh, they started to systematic systematically infiltrate the, uh, the seats of power, you know, the United States uh, democratic institutions, the, the academia, the military. And eventually, in 2013, they had the they had the success of establishing uh, the Federal Reserve System, uh, essentially on the model of the Bank of England. And from that point on, uh, the takeover was uh, was uh, ramping up. And uh, I think by the 1920s, it was pretty close to complete. It's amazing stuff. I'm, I've never, I've never heard that or studied that. Was it, let me ask you in your studies of Lincoln and the Civil War, did Lincoln reach out to Russia? Did Russia reach out to Lincoln? How did that uh, connection take place? I think they had, uh, they had, they had diplomatic relations. They had very close and friendly diplomatic relations. I'm not sure who reached out to whom, but. What what I know that happened is that um, the French reached out to Russia and offered Russia to uh, join the coalition of France, Britain, and uh, and and Va the Vatican, uh, and to support the South. And uh, they held a meeting in Saint Petersburg with, you know, what was then the equivalent of Russian. Um, foreign minister, Prince Gorchakov. And right after the meeting, the next day, the, the St. Petersburg Gazette, which was the, you know, the Tsar's official um, paper, they immediately declared an alliance with the United States and they declared that they would come to the aid of the United States. And they put those troops, <coughs> they put those troops at the disposal of Lincoln's army uh with the terms that if britain or france attacked the north that the russian fleet would come under command of um of abraham lincoln's uh, generals so they would they would take orders from from uh, the lincoln's uh, military uh, brass so in a way you know, I, I, I don't know if that was at the request of the American side or if that was simply a Russian reaction to 
uh, basically the French and the British declaring their hostile intentions towards the United States and Russians realizing that these people are are going to break up the United States and you know well then obviously you know Russia would probably be the next target so they they understood that they needed to uh, you know like today they needed to try to create um multipolar world order rather than the unipolar world order uh centered in in the city of London so you know the reason why I think this story is very relevant is because I don't think it's that different from what we're experiencing today no, it doesn't sound like it. It sounds like it's all, like you said, connected. I'm, this is all pretty uh, new to me. Do you know Mel Kay? Have you talked to her? Oh, yes. She's she spoken to Mel Kay many times, yes. Have you? Because this stuff yeah. is right in sync with what she's been sharing. And she kind of, I've went and saw her, seen her speak a few times, had her on this show and been on her show. And um, I just, uh, it's fascinating what she's saying with the Federal Reserve, uh, with with these efforts that she says have been going on a very long time. And I just, I was just living in the dark. I didn't, uh, I didn't, didn't know this stuff. Hey, Alex, we got to take a real quick break. Do you mind? I want to jump into this. I'm so excited to drop board here and can't wait to really carry this forward to today if we can. If not, we'll get you back. But uh, I would love to have you back anyways. But we're going to take a real quick break and we'll be right back if you don't mind. The European Central Bank is saying the quiet part out loud about central bank digital currency. From Washington, D.C., this is the Morano Minute with your host, TNT Radio's Mark Morano. The president of the European Central Bank, Christine Lagarde, admitted the EU's new central bank digital currency will be used to impose control. There will be control, you're right. You're completely right. Mm -hmm. We are considering whether for very small amounts, you know, anything that is around 300, 400 euros, we could have a mechanism where there is zero control. But that could be dangerous. The terrorist attacks on France uh, back uh, 10 years ago were entirely financed by those very small anonymous credit cards that you can recharge in total anonymity. Did you get that? You have to give up your freedom and use a central bank digital currency and no more cash because of a terrorist attack 10 years ago. What's the bigger threat? Tyrannical government trying to protect you or the terrorists themselves? Reject central bank digital currency. Reject the Great Reset. This is Mark Morano for the Morano Minute on TNT Radio. Challenging the consensus and debunking the narrative. This is Viewpoint. Governments around the world are wasting billions of dollars in carbon capture and storage. Such programs oppose the benefit of enhanced photosynthesis for a greener world and improved crop yields. Much of the funding goes to geosequestration, which requires vast amounts of energy to pump carbon dioxide deep underground into geological formations. It would be better described as oxygen burial, given oxygen makes up 73% of the mass of carbon dioxide. For most of the last 600 million years of life on Earth, atmospheric carbon dioxide concentration exceeded 1,000 parts per million. And for much of that time, including when the dinosaurs roamed it, it was over 2,000 parts per million. Today, it is only about 415 parts per million. Burning fossil fuels liberates carbon back into the atmosphere from which it came. You're with Joe Hoff on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. 
Hey, it's great to be back here. This is Joe Hoff on the Joe Hoff Show. We don't have enough time today, but we've got a great guest, Alex Kreiner, and I can't wait to continue this discussion. Uh, Alex uh, joined us uh, for the first time on the Joe Hoff Show, but he's talking about, he knows Mel Kay, who I really have a lot of respect for. May see her tomorrow night. I've invited her to an event tomorrow night. Good friend of mine, David Clements, who's a professor uh from a former professor is is put together a documentary on the tw- on the 2020 election steal and he's laying it out and we're going to get a pre-release release tomorrow and i've invited mel Kay to to come if she wants to i hope maybe i'll have to send her this uh this interview to nudge her a bit so she can make it but she's not far from me either so um yeah she's the one that kind of started sharing with me some of the stuff on the history of the this uh, globalists that have that they're 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 marching forward i had i just had no idea some of this so what you're saying today is news to me russia had helped the u.s at lincoln namely lincoln in the uh in the civil war it's it's this is amazing stuff i i keep hearing stuff about our history that i never was taught you know um there's some other stories i could share but this is amazing what you're saying. And we talked about the LaRouche gang. They reached out to me as I was getting into this election. I've, like I said, I wrote three three books on the steel. And they had me on. And they said something. Well, rather than killing people, take their population down, why don't we, LaRouche's, their idea was let's expand and let's explore. That's that's in our DNA. The human being's DNA is to let's let's see what's out there. You know, maybe we can see other planets, other places. I thought... Well, that's an ingenious idea. How about that? Instead of uh, all this anti-humanism that's going on today and the destruction of the human being. And uh, so they were, they're maybe more spot on than I ever imagined. But you mentioned them earlier and that kind of grabbed me. I'm like, this group, and they say the U.S.'s number one enemy since the revolution has been Britain to this day. And you would, you what would you say to that? Do you agree? Oh, yeah, absolutely. To this day, to this day, because you see the. First of all, I think that we have to discern what the empire means and what it is, you know, because we the way we study history, we've always used to conflate empires with nations. So, you know, we had Roman Empire and Spanish Empire and Dutch Empire and British Empire and, uh, uh, you know, Today, people call it the U.S. Empire, but it's not really the U.S. Empire, and it wasn't really the British Empire. It's always um, the empires are the parasite that infects the host, it infects a nation as its host, and then it uses the political, economic, financial, and, and, and diplomatic resources of that nation to um expand that empire and it's always the banking elites uh together with the with the corporations that they control that is the empire the the the, the these these very narrow vested interests which uh require because of the nature of their money to always expand but you know they can't without an army and without the diplomatic corps and without a secret service and w- without the you know, MI6s and CIAs and so forth. So that's why they have to infiltrate the, you know, the legitimate political um, structures of a nation and then use it. Exactly like a a parasite, when it affects a host, it gets the host 
to do what the parasite needs. You know, like if you get a tapeworm, you get a big, you know, munchies for sugar because the tapeworm requires sugar. And that's what the empire has done. And it has it has moved from, uh, I think, from Rome to Venice to uh, to Amsterdam to London and in the end to, to New York. And then the next stop was going to be uh, Beijing, except that the Chinese have seen the game. The Chinese have understood the game and the the imperial cabal has understood that the chinese led them into a trap and that they are planning to behead them and so now they're planning a big war of everybody against china and so that's the you know that's the big that's the big war that's that's slowly brewing and it's coming our way uh, two days ago i had the displeasure of, of being in a zoom call with frank gaffney and Frank Gaffney, uh, for your for your listeners, is the neocon's neocon. You know, he's a he's buddy pals with Richard. Uh, what's his face? It's Richard Pearl and uh, Paul Wolfowitz and uh, William Crystal and Robert Kagan. The, that whole and they've been they've been banging every war for the last twenty years. You know, they've been banging the drums of war for the last twenty years. And the last I remember. You know, first he was spreading fear about the rise of the global Islamic caliphate that's going to, you know, swallow up everybody and every we're all going to live under Sharia law. And then that got old and then he was banging on about Ukraine and Russia a little bit. And now, you know, literally what he said was that the greatest evil in the history of mankind is China. And... Uh, we just all have to come together and go and kill them, I guess, you know, because there's just no other way. But basically, this is what always happens when when empires paint themselves into a corner, which, you know, now the empire has done because they always create not only mayhem abroad, but they also create misery at home. Always for 2000 years, always the same symptoms. And then when, you know, the social pressures start to become unbearable and the and these vested interests start fearing that the, you know, the social pressures are going to erupt and could possibly unseat them from power. Then they scream enemies at the gate, the barbarians at the gate, you know, and that way they get, you know, all the military age males to go and fight a war overseas. And, you know, in a major bloodletting, they, they, they really reduce their ranks and they co-opt the, the survivors, you know, people who prove, uh, let's say, uh, co-optable and who are capable and maybe become part of their, their own Praetorian Guard. And this has been going on for 2000 years. Literally, the, this, the, this playbook was, was already uh, well, well established uh, during the Roman Empire, and then you know the Dutch Empire that did the same, the Venetians the same, uh, and you know the the Dutch Empire basically moved to the United States because over there in 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 Amsterdam they were exposed to land invasions, so they needed you know the splendid in isolation of the of the British Isles, and then in uh, sixteen eighty eight, this is called the Glorious Revolution, the William of Orange just colluded with a bunch of nobles in England and they basically agreed to let William of Orange take over and they did and that's you know uh, six years later we we get the Bank of England and then we get the British Empire 
And today we get the American empire, but it's always the same book, playbook, the same model of governance and, and the same continuation. Today, I think it's reached a dead end because uh, the Chinese and the Russians understand the game. And they are, I'm, I'm very convinced, nobody said this explicitly, but you know, you can read between the line, the statements of Xi and other Chinese officials and the and the, many of the Russian officials, they fully well understand who the enemy is. And they're slowly moving their pieces into place to behead the enemy. It's not the American people. It's not the British people. It's not the European people. It's this network of vested interests that has been creating this, this dystopian condition of permanent warfare we're just careening from crisis to crisis. You know, we're, we're we we call these democracies, but by some dark magic, we keep getting a lot of what we don't want, and we we can't get things we do want. You know, so we always vote for, for anti-war candidate, but we keep getting more wars, and we also want you know safe neighborhood, good economy, quality education, blah blah. blah. But those things we just cannot have for some reason, even though we're a democracy. Yeah. So I think that no. this this parasitic uh, this parasitic model of governance has got to go, and that's the enemy of both China and Russia. But it's also an enemy of the of the British people, of the Europeans, of, of the Americans. It's fantastic, unbelievable stuff. I got so many questions and comments. Really, quite frankly, we learned in twenty twenty there that we don't have a democracy. We've got a system. Uh, where somebody's making the calls on who's going to win an election and who's not. And uh, and that's what we're working really hard, a bunch of us just trying to try to replace enough of that so that we can gain an election back that's you know, that the American people actually have a say in, because I don't believe we do right now. And that's what we, you know, and I've written three books on it in 2020. And, and, and I've put together a team now, and we're working on this one day at a time, trying to figure out how we can identify enough uh, areas that we can fix for 2024 because this is this is a nightmare what's going on now um i'm i'm blown away by all this and i and the one thought that you raised and we've only got about a minute to go but is that i thought about it if i'm if i'm the world economic forum or whoever we want to call this group and i want to rule the world i want to take down china and and so i've thought that's an effort that I could see happening. Let's convince Europe and America take America, uh, you know, to take China on. Is is that somewhat what you're saying? Would you agree with that or no? Joe, I'm so sorry. It the the I, I lost the sound for a few seconds, so I don't know what you're asking me okay. whether I agree or not. <laughs> does the does uh, the world economic forum do they want do they want yes or no question do they want to uh, get the u.s in a war with china yes absolutely yes absolutely yeah. for more than one reason they are obsessed with controlling the eurasian landmass for its resources and its labor potential and they also want to secure their um uh, dominance Power. over the united states and if you mm. push the United States into a big war, then you can do all kinds of things behind the smokescreen. You can deal with people like Joe Hoft easily, just like slamming yeah. in the prison. Nobody's going to ask a question. Amen. 
Alex, hope to have you back soon. Really enjoyed having you. God bless you. We got to run. My pleasure. Thank you great. very much for having me. Yeah. Yeah. Take Thank care. you. Take care.